Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archelaus. So have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Secrets of Area 51 Reveal. I'm from Series A, not Series B. Who are you, huh? Yeah, hey, Mama. It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night with the Living Geeks, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness in the weird world in which we live. I'm your host, Taylor, and across from the virtual desk for me tonight is my brother, Seb. Seb, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Taylor, how are you doing? Um, I'm hanging in there. January was definitely an interesting month. Uh, uh, Unicron came to... I mean, Omicron. <laughs> came to visit we did not have a planet-sized transformer uh come visit no we we finally got hit by the virus yeah three quarters of everyone in the house uh at this point either has had it or currently has it myself among them so yeah um I'm 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 impressed we're getting an episode put together this month. Honestly, I will uh, I will admit that. Um, but we are getting better, and that's what matters most. Okay. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> proof proof positive vaccines work. Amen. If you haven't, go get that done. Amen. Get yourself boosted for sure. How are you? I'm very good. I am sad to report that my <clears throat> beloved automobile of about 19 years is probably on its last leg. Um, yeah. I have to start looking for a new car. Um, it kind of works out, though, because this I just had my, all my student loan debt forgiven by the federal government, which is Hooray. which is great, you know? So it's it seems like the universe is saying this is the time. This is the time. Yeah. <laughs> looking forward to it. I, I've, I've seen people buying cars in movies and television shows my whole life, but this will be my first real <laughs> time at the rodeo, so to speak, you know? Um, yeah. So it'll be an interesting life experience, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good life experience to have, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't know that anybody ever loves doing it. I just get so sentimental over my old car. I mean, it saved my life so it. many times. We've been, we've seen so many things together and it's just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I almost envy you because I know that whenever a vehicle you drive leaves your life or your family, it's a classic car. So it will be, it will, will eventually find a good home. Whereas my car almost certainly will end up being melted down into a toaster. Um, <laughs> so, but if I could find that toaster and buy it back. It would just be... There you go. Yeah. Just keep eyes yeah. out for a, a dark green toaster. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, shoot, you know, before uh, uh, before you let it go, you know, pop the Saturn badge off the hood or something. Something like that, yeah, for sure. Keep it handy, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get it. Hey, did you realize this is basically our first anniversary show? Holy cats, this has totally escaped me. This is amazing. Yeah, wow. that just hit me. Yeah, we debuted a year ago in february happy anniversary happy anniversary indeed yeah. here's our here's to our second season even though we're not breaking them out by by seasons mm-hmm. our second our second year uh and and i suppose we should start it off by taking a look at 
did anything weird happen in January <laughs> for us? And um, did anything weird happen that, for that, you? That, the, the weird thing is not much happened that was weird, which in itself is a yeah, weird. Yeah, same here. Um, sounds like a non-weird month for the most part. Although, yeah. you know, I, I know that in a previous episode we had talked about some amazing vintage UFO magazines you got for a Christmas gift. Yes, from a very, very awesome brother of mine. Have you had a chance to look any more at them? And were they... Um, you know, they are, they are totally great. Um, I love them. Like I said last time, I love looking through just, just the advertisements, if nothing else. Um, I made a point because they're older, you know, they're, they're all very yellowed and stuff. Mm -hmm. They're, um, if left to their own devices, they will get, you know, much more brittle over time. So I, I made a point of ordering up some magazine bags for them. I wanted to order boards too, but I was just like, man, that's just, I don't need a hundred boards. And it's like, I don't want to pay that much for them. So I'll, I'll get some eventually just to kind of help keep them, uh, from getting all kind of like wonky. Um, but I at least, I at least have them in bags now. So I know I can like put them up in my closet Mm. and not worry about them getting jostled around by other things. But yeah, I was, um, what did I just look at? There was one, (laughs) excuse me, battling COVID. I'm going to be trying to clear my my throat a few times this 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 episode. Um, uh, there's there's one magazine that had an article about uh, a couple of UFO cultists uh, that refer to themselves as Bo and Peep, and and have they have they disappeared? And it turns out that it's uh, Marshall Applewhite mm. of the Heaven's Heaven's Gate cult oh, fame, wow. um, and his I don't know partner in crime mm. at the time, whose name completely escapes me at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very interesting to read about kind of like, you know, where they came from and kind of like their early their early attempts at, you know, UFOs being our savior and they're going to take us away. And it, it literally is. It's, it's like, you know, it's it's early Heaven's Gate Yikes. before it was called Heaven's Gate. Right. Um, it, it was all of that. It's a, it was actually really kind of a fascinating read. Man, wow. Yeah. Um, especially because it's like, you know, 19, I think it, this issue was like late 78, okay. maybe it was late 77, but anyway, you know, it's just like, oh, have they disappeared? Where have they gone off to, you know? And it's like, oh, they're, they're still around. Mm. They're still around magazine. If, if only you right, knew. Right, right. Stay tuned. You yeah. know, give, give it 20, <laughs> give it 20 more years. years. <clears throat> Gee whiz. So, yeah. Um, and I did, um. I did spy a copy of Art Bell's memoir, mm. uh, The Art of Talk. Okay. Um, and and it, it was a, an original 1995 pressing of it, um, actually on Amazon, of all places, mm. from a third-party seller. Um, and I'm like, well, I've got The Quickening, I've got uh, The Coming Global Superstorm, and I've got um, the other one. <laughs> name that i can't remember right now you get the, almost the full library of the, i exactly yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and one of them i think the quickening um i picked up an autographed copy oh, cool. um so i was like well i'm i'm just gonna go ahead and get this now now i'll have the whole set mm-hmm. um and that's it's really kind of an interesting read um like i mean i realized this was written in 1995 mm-hmm. and and it was definitely a different world mm. <laughs> then um and he's He's very straightforward. He's very blunt in some cases. Um, and there's effectively an entire chapter about his love for, quote unquote, oriental women. Oh, okay. Interesting. You know? All right. Yep. Well, yep. Okay. And um, like, I, <laughs> I read it and I'm like, I feel really awkward reading this. 
Gotta admit, feel really well, awkward. Was it like this. too much information kind of situation? Uh, almost a little okay. bit. All right. Almost a little mm-hmm. bit, plus the fact where it's like, okay, we don't really use those terms anymore, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of like, okay, just, you know, it is what it is. Okay. And uh, I, I don't know that it needed a full chapter, mm. but hey, he gave it a chapter. I think his, wasn't his last wife from the Philippines? So that kind of, I guess, uh, makes he, sense. He's, he, he's had, he, yeah, he's had a few wives. I mean, I think his wife, Ramona, uh, is, is half Hawaiian. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, and yes, I believe his last wife uh, was Filipina. Okay. Or I guess Filipina, because that's, they have gendered, kind of like Spanish. Mm, mm. Anyway, anyway, it was, it was it was an interesting read, and it, it was cool to uh, uh, pick up an original copy with that kind of almost like airbrushed cover art, mm, mm-hmm. which is just so crazy. Um, so yeah, not really a weird month, other than the fact that I feel like the past three weeks have just been, you know dealing with Ugh. with covid and time has kind of lost all meaning sure. um yeah that's that's really been the weirdest part of it you know uh having days where it's like oh it's lunchtime and i haven't even done a thousand steps because i can't go outside for a walk right. or anything like that but anyway here's hoping to february being a a much better here, month here. indeed well, I tell you what, Seb. Let's get into it. Right. Um, Nineteen fifty-five really was kind of a, 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 a flap year. We've talked about uh, the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins before. Uh huh. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in fifty-five. Back to the Future. Uh, yes, exactly. A red letter day in history, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. November fifth, nineteen fifty-five. Yes, uh, but strange things were hopping. <laughs> In the town of Loveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you this, Seb wrote our intro, <laughs> and I'm reading it, so be ready for this. In the summer of 1955, on at least three separate occasions, unusual short humanoids were witnessed at night, accompanied by an extremely foul odor. Mm. These were not teenagers. Uh, one witness described the creature's uh, large straight mouths, without any apparent lip muscles, crossed nearly the entire lower portion of their faces, an effect which reminded the witness of a frog, or you know most people like what the canadians look like on south park uh but yeah what were these we're gonna get ready for the riveting i mean <clears throat> excuse me riveting story of the loveland frog the man. loveland Frogman, folks here we go i know you've been waiting yes. all this time for a humanoid frog hybrid episode well your answers have been prayered or your prayers have been answered i guess um <laughs> loveland ohio you, you know what i found out it, it's the hometown of jerry springer what yeah crazy oh my god I did not know Isn't that. Isn't that weird? Yeah, totally. I so so what you're saying, what you're saying is that Jerry Springer actually is the Loveland Frogman. I cuz he was probably born in what the 40s, so he's probably about 10 or 12 I, in 1955. I think it's huh? I think it's inescapable huh? that this must be the solution to the enigma that is the Loveland. There Frogman. we go. Thanks for joining yeah, us this night, month, folks. everybody. Yeah, good night, folks. Yeah, quick uh, episode. Jeez. <laughs> Holy cats. <laughs> You know, I'm so glad that we chose this episode because it has been a real uh, trip going down this story, uh, tracking down some stuff. Um, One of the things I always love to do whenever I'm investigating one of these situations is I try to, it's very easy to find maybe like a Wikipedia page that talks about some unusual phenomenon or a cryptid, for instance, a UFO sighting. I always try to see if I can find the earliest mention of that 
thing, whatever it is, in print. You know, try to get as close to the right. source as possible. Yeah, we've talked about yeah, that. Yeah, and I was so surprised for this, for tonight's show, because the document that I found the most helpful was actually a document that we had from a previous episode. In, in a sense, mm-hmm. I almost feel like tonight's episode is, in a way, almost like a sequel to an episode we did on the famous goblins of Kelly Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Um, there was a, a publication put out by, I believe, the Center for UFO Studies called, mm-hmm. called Close Encounter at Kelly um, by Isabel Davis and Ted Locher. And there's actually a whole, I guess you might say, like appendix in that publication dealing with um, the weird occurrences and Loveland, Ohio, which is really, really kind of fascinating. Um, yeah. It appears that uh, Mr. Blocher, um, along with uh, famous UFO uh, researcher Leonard Stringfield, did mm-hmm. some of the preliminary investigations on the ground, feet on the ground, in, in the 50s with some of the first-hand participants. Um, and it was an invaluable document. I learned a lot. I've been aware of the Loveland Frogman since probably like the early 1990s when I got some of my first oh, okay. books on bizarre phenomenon. Oh, like that that big uh, Jerome Clark one, the unexplained yeah, one. Yeah, for sure. There's a whole chapter on mm-hmm. that. Um, and but there's stuff that I learned in this Close Encounter at Kelly publication that I never knew before, and it was just really fast. Um, yeah, and I and I think if I remember right, um, the the order in which kind of the tale unfolds in Close Encounter at Kelly. I I think for the purposes of our show notes, we've kind of reorganized to kind of go in more of a chronological order, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there were there were there were three main um, witness accounts that were investigated, I guess, um, and they all occurred in like May, June, July ish of 55 uh, in Loveland, um, which you know, right off the bat, that's, I think, interesting and significant because you have a cluster of sightings all around the same time in the same place, which always kind of builds, for me, builds up, like, my, if not interest level, my, my sense of, you know, I have to take it more seriously, I guess, you know? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, personally, I think the, <clears throat> the most impressive of the three encounters was the one of Mr. Robert Honeycutt, um, who had his counter at what's called Branch Hill uh, on May 25th, 1955. Um, and Mr. Honeycutt apparently was a short order chef in a newly opened Loveland area restaurant. And he was driving northeast through Branch Hill um, in Sims Township. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I, I would pronounce it Sims. Sims, thank you. Because it's got two M's. But it might be Symes. I'm not sure. Well, you are the English major, so I defer to you. Um, eh, fair. Uh, township on the Madeira uh, Loveland Pike when he saw a group of strange little men on the side of the road with their backs to the bushes. Oh, man, they're taking a pee, aren't they? That's what, that's what I thought, too. Exactly. Right. Um, Honeycutt claimed to have seen, quote, fire coming out of their hands, unquote, which I hope they're not peeing in that. Um, <laughs> and that there was a terrible odor that permeated. Um, while Honeycutt had not reported seeing a UFO, one of the interesting things that the investigators uh, dug up, there had been a sighting earlier that same night by members of the local Ground Observer Corps, which was a, a civil defense program. Yeah, and there's, there's a little uh, bit taken from the Loveland Herald newspaper here, right? For sure, yeah. There's an article that they quote. It says, Four flying saucers sighted by Loveland GOC Tower. Planes sent up to check object reported by observer with long service on Tuesday, May 24th at 7.40 p.m. According to the log which is kept by the flights of planes reported at the ground observer tower on Lebanon Road, four flying saucers flying in formation. That's a lot of Fs right there, by the way. Yes. uh, Passed over and were reported to Columbus by the observer on duty. They were sent, uh, they were flying 
flying in a northerly direction when it reported to Columbus, planes were sent out to identify them. No public report came back to the tower, but this is regular practice. None was expected. Okay. The observer on duty at the time was Mrs. Frank Whitecotton. She had served more mm. hours in the observation tower than any other person and was said to be thoroughly qualified in identification reporting. Quote, this may come as somewhat of a surprise to some of the skeptics, but now that flying saucers have been identified here by one of our own workers, let us not be lulled into complacency, unquote. The civil defense <laughs> official said, quote, keep the watchtower occupied at all times. The very moment it is left unmanned may be the time the enemies will strike. Join the GOC today. It will be a pleasant place to spend a few hours each week of the summer, unquote. Got, gotta love how they turn that into a into a sales pitch. <laughs> like the recruiting, uh, yeah. I, I find this interesting because if I remember correctly the direction that the the UFO sighting prior to Kelly Hopkinsville is that they were headed in a I think it was northeasterly oh interesting direction so it was a similar direction right. yeah um, and and keep the name Frank White Cotton in your minds folk because uh, uh, White Cotton is gonna figure into this story a little bit more mm, in, in just a little bit intriguing. yes yes um, so getting back to Mr. Honeycutt, so the figures that he saw, he claimed were, were short. They're about three and a half <clears> feet in height. Yep, there's our goblin size. There's our goblin size. Um, the forward figure had his arms a foot or so above his head, and it appeared to Honeycutt as though he was holding a rod or a chain, and sparks blue-white in color, two, two or three at a time, were seen jumping back and forth, one hand to another, just above and below the quote-unquote rod. He had a, he had a sparkler. It, does, it was Labor Day. <laughs> it was Memorial Day weekend, and he had a sparkler. It does. Sound, it does kind of sound like a sparkler, doesn't it? Yeah. This this was an ugly kid with a sparkler. <laughs> Very ugly. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, as as Honeycutt got up, got out of the left side of his car, the figure, the forward figure, lowered his arms near his, um, appeared to release whatever he had been holding. To the witness, quote, it looked as if he tied it around his ankle. Quote. That's difficult for me that, to understand what what that would look like, but okay. Yeah, especially. But I mean, if nothing else, it's kind of like, oh, oh man, we. But the locals notice us. Hide, hide the rod, dude. Hide the rod. Yeah, for sure. Um, this most extraordinary trio was made up of three humanoid figures of a grayish color, hmm. approximately the same shade of gray for their heads as for their garment. Fairly ugly were the words Mr. Honeycutt used <laughs> to describe them. Uh, uh, Mr. Honeycutt, uh, what, what, what do these, uh, what do these creatures look like? I don't know, man. They were, they're fairly. They're pretty ugly, ugly right? <laughs> it, it's interesting that they're described as grayish though because of you know that becomes sort of the the default alien color eventually exactly yes i had that same mm. thought and 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 you think of you know you think of most frogs as being uh green in color mm -hmm. you know with the exception of some exotic ones but you're not going to find those in ohio mm. Mm. <clears throat> Uh, let alone standing up and waving wands around right um so yeah it's you know it's kind of like ooh, is this maybe an early an early example right right of a gray but then there's some stuff that really doesn't sound yeah yeah uh, like them exactly um the, the the account goes on to state that the nose was indistinct according to mr honeycutt with no unusual feature that the witness could discern the eyes seemed to be more or less normal except the no eyebrows the head was bald and appeared to have rolls of fat running horizontally across the top rather oh man rather like the corrugated effect of a doll's painted on hair except that there was no difference in color i mean so right right there that's bizarre but it's it's interesting yeah I mean, 
He's saying the eyes are pretty normal, so that definitely doesn't seem to track with the traditional gray alien I got. Huh? No, true, yeah, true. Yeah. Um, the most remarkable feature was the upper torso. The chest was decidedly lopsided. On the right side, it swelled out a usually large bulge that began under the armpit, extended down to the waist, giving the figures a markedly asymmetrical... It's not a tumor. <laughs> it's not a tumor, right. It sounds like it might be. Well, it definitely doesn't sound very comfortable for these poor little guys, that's for no, sure. No, not at all all i would hate to see these guys running down the street it'd be like totally it's all kind of lopsided right um the arms seem to be of uneven length the right being longer than the left Ooh. as though to accommodate this usual feature so it's it's almost like you know if 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 we want to talk evolution is that this this chest this lopsided chest feature had been there for a while and that their right arms had grown longer mm-hmm. in order to, you know, I don't know, still be able to meet in the middle to play with sparkles. Right, to compensate, exactly. Yeah. Um, Honeycutt saw nothing unusual about the hands, although he could not say how many fingers. They, if the if the being wore garments above their waist, they were tight-fitting and of the same gray color as the rest of the body. There was no line of demarcation to be detected garment and the skin itself. Below the waist, however, there seemed to be a loose-fitting garment color, but Honeycutt was unable to recall any detail of other than the hips and waist appeared to be quote-unquote heavy. Oh, mm. thick boys. Thick boys, right. Thick boys. He could see no feet, but the figure stood in six inches. Of, um, and then here's an interesting part, which we'll come to in the other two accounts. There was also an equally strong and penetrating odor. It was, only, it was most noticeable as he drove off. He compared it to a combination of fresh cut alfalfa with a slight piece of almond. That is oddly specific. It's oddly specific, and I, I have to admit, I did do, I did try to do a little bit of uh, googling just to see if those descriptions cor- like correlated to specific like organic compounds or chemicals. You know? Okay. Okay. I didn't really yeah. Get yeah. Very far, unfortunately, being that I'm not a chemist or anything. But I thought like maybe there are certain chemicals that give off those scents. We could learn something through that, but you know, it didn't really go in. Yeah, I don't. No, that's 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 a weird yeah. one. Honeycutt said that he had an impression that he may have intruded upon some kind of operation. He got the distinct feeling that the forward figure was using the implement in his hand as a signal to someone or something in the woods on the opposite side of the road. Although he could see nothing in the dark. I, you know, I mean, I suppose that's possible. Yeah. You know, you're trying to signal to to something using your your little sparkler there to get the attention and he just happened to be across a road where this this honeycut guy is driving one of the things that i was really struck by for this account was as we're going to see as we go on in tonight's show this was the only as far as i could tell this was the only one of the of the 1955 witness accounts where the witness actually um came forward and provided his his name so it wasn't like an anonymous type situation yeah that is true because the other ones there's like you know, you're either hearing it, you know, like second or third hand, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or it's like, oh, here, here's this person, but we only have their initials. Right, right. Um, yeah. So no, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. The um, and the other thing that kind of struck me was that they didn't. How do I say this? Um, except for the description of the mouth, where Honeycutt said it was frog-like, uh-huh. these creatures didn't sound very froggy. You know what I mean? They, no. they weren't hopping. They didn't have giant tongues shooting out of their heads. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. Um, they didn't have hypnotic eyes. Right. Um, and and yeah, they had. You've got this big kind of lopsided bulge in the chest, which you know does kind of maybe look like um, what's it called on a frog? That kind of air sac when they when they rivet. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's not on the neck. It's the torso, and it's not like it 
bulges out and gets bigger if they go to make noise. I've really got to say that the the combination of, if we take this story at face value, the combination of the sparking device um, being that, I guess it would be some form of technology, and the, you know, the, the connection with the UFO report, I mean, it really makes me feel, at least in this instance, that we're dealing more with, like, if it's true, like more of an extraterrestrial type situation rather than a cryptid type situation. So far, yeah, I, I would I would be inclined to agree with yeah. you, especially because we've got, again, 1955. Um, granted, this is prior to Hopkinsville. Hopkinsville was in August. Okay, yeah. But again, <clears throat> UFO sighting, and again, we have short creatures, mm-hmm. you know, between three and four foot tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, granted, these were, you know, less goblin-like and more... I don't even know what I would describe them as. Ugly. You know, More ugly. Yeah, fairly <laughs> ugly. Yeah, for sure. Fairly ugly. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, if, if you look just at the Honeycutt account um, and tie it to the, the UFO sighting of the previous evening, um, it, it definitely seems a lot more mm-hmm. like a Hopkinsville-like situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and again... Yes, they're standing in grass, but again, we get the reports like, oh, I didn't see what their feet looked like. Right. Um, you know? And that's another one of those odd parallels. That's true. That's I didn't think about that, but that's true. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the the initial reporters, or reporters, the initial, the initial investigators at the time in the yeah. 50s, you know, who went down to Loveland, um, they ended up talking to the uh, the chief of police down there who was... Who is, kind of involved in, in some of these uh, witness accounts. In, in some instances, the witnesses went to the police department to report this all. Mm-hmm. Um, the mm-hmm. second case, called the Loveland Bridge case, and I think it probably gets just as much coverage in whenever people talk about the Loveland Frogman, as, uh, if not maybe a little bit more than the Honeycutt case. Um, yeah, I, 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 this is this is the account that I kind of I think of when I think of the Loveland Frogman. Right, right. Um, in this instance, uh, the anonymous chose to remain anonymous. Um, and from what I could find from the, the publication, he was known only by the initial CF, um, and he was 19 years old at the time, around July 1955, um, and served as an auxiliary policeman with civil defense. Oddly enough, there's civil defense civil again. Civil defense again, right. Um, so apparently in early July, possibly late June 55, this individual CF was driving a civil defense truck, and he was crossing a bridge in the Loveland area, which probably was there was a vehicular bridge apparently over the little miami river coming from claremont county ohio um, yeah and it's it's still there you can uh look it up on google maps oh really did you take a look at it i did oh, okay. i did take a look at it yep it is it is again it's i mean it's a bridge it's a liminal space right 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 bridges and borders um and so yeah it it is still there you can kind of see um where the the river goes and where the road goes and you actually even you give an idea and i'm just assuming that it's never moved like how far down from the bridge like the police station is oh wow interesting and stuff so i kind of just just quickly just try to look kind of where some of these landmarks are yeah so apparently cf's driving over this bridge and he looks out and notices four small figures on the riverbank and again just like in the honeycake case there's a really strong powerful odor in the area terrible smell um cf immediately drove off to his headquarters to report um described four or more four more or less human looking little men about feet high they had been moving about oddly and of course there was the terrible um he said he had witnessed them for only about 10 seconds or so but also that he was so much ridiculed 
violent and abused because of his report that he had been forced to quit his job with civil defense, um, which which is yeah. which is really sad, really unfortunate. So the 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 the, 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 the um, publication that all of this comes from goes on to talk about how um, CF apparently claimed that there had been a, a newspaper article talking about his his witness account that ended up he getting a lot of ridicule over and that kind of stuff. But it was interesting because the authors, the UFO investigators, apparently have searched for for many many years trying to find this newspaper article and they just have never been able to, to substantiate it or find it in any newspaper publication or, or newspaper archive anywhere which is kind of kind of weird. yeah it is a little bit i mean i, I also find it weird that <clears throat> you know we have we have this anonymous person simply going by the initial cf but then we also have the chief of police who is chief fritz Oh, you know, and it's Chief John Fritz, right. you know, but the J J isn't factoring into it. And it's I'm not I'm not trying to equate, you know, anything, um, because obviously the police chief is not 19 years old mm. and all this kind of stuff. But it's just like, I don't know, I feel like sometimes you get some of these stories and you get like these these odd parallels where it's like, well, you've got CF, but then you've got Chief Fritz or, you know, you've got these initials. but then You've got somebody else whose name uses the same initials. Right, right. Um, but one of the things that I, and I was reading it just today as I was kind of just going over notes to see if there's any last minute things I wanted to add. Um, it, it, we've got Mr. Frank White Cotton who works in the civil defense group, right? right? Um, he originally, if I understand it correctly, pointed Leonard Stringfield toward Chief Fritz as being a source of information of this account. Mm. And when <clears throat> Stringfield got to Fritz and was talking about it, um, I, I think one of the things that they were trying to figure out um, over the course of these cases is, did the FBI ever get involved? Right, right, yeah. And and, and they, they, they report kind of some weird reactions uh -huh. from people when um when that subject is brought up almost as if you know maybe they did get involved and they're like don't talk about this never happened right right you know kind of stuff kind of almost men in blacky kind of stuff um but what we get is uh chief fritz uh saying he's like why well, I, I don't I'm not really the source of all these details. A lot of the details of this case came to me from Mr. White Cotton. Mm, uh -huh. So we've got we've got White Cotton trying to say that Fritz is the source of a lot of the the detail, and the chief going, "No, a lot of that detail was given to me by given to me by Mr. White Cotton." Mm, interesting. <clears throat> so I'm like, the, there was part of me that at least at first was kind of going, "I'm like, okay, so." So were the White Cottons trying to concoct a story? Right. Like, were they trying to kind of, I don't know, generate some sort of interest in the area? Mm. But there, there's, I literally have nothing to go on other than that speculation and the fact that we kind of have a little bit of unreliable narrator out of out of Frank Whitecott. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Uh, I know that they go on to claim that CF lived at a particular house and they give a pretty good geographical description of where it was located. It's, yeah. It seems like it might be possible for a really good researcher try to figure out maybe who lived at that house at that time maybe try to tentatively identify cf who yeah i mean if he was I if mean, he was 19 and 55 i mean what he he might even still be alive today potentially he would have been born in 35 or 36 most likely depending on when his birthday was yeah. um yeah i mean it wouldn't <clears throat> it would it would take some sleuthing but i think it could be done yeah yeah one really weird like account or part of this whole account which which always stuck in my mind apparently cf i think if i remember correctly he said that the creatures or 
beings that he witnessed, it almost looked like maybe they had been praying or something. As in, as in, like religiously. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Um, which is kind of a weird, a weird description of of these creatures doing. You know, it's a weird weird comment or weird observation that, that is kind of a weird yeah. observation and and again we've got you know i mean if you want to look at it kind of like uh from a bit of the folklore um out there you know here we've got these these little unusual creatures and they're under a bridge right you know the loveland troll um maybe who knows um but there's there's not a lot of interaction um you don't obviously really get a good look at them short of like you know 10 seconds as you're going over the bridge right um of i think of all the of all the tales that we're going to talk about tonight this this one actually kind of feels the weakest i i was also in terms of evidence right in terms of evidence and and it also left me wanting more frogginess out of this like i'm just i am <laughs> i'm so waiting for one of these little creatures to do something do something froggy right you know? i just do give a giant leap or yes. ribbit yes. or yeah I, I really i don't i don't quite see the frog yeah we're not there connection in this in this just yet we do have lots of odor right um but we do get that sometimes with cryptids you oh, know sure. that 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 talk of like oh my god there's this horribly pungent smell you know you hear it a lot in bigfoot uh cases well, i think in the sierra sounds episode we did earlier yes i think there was talk of the odor too yes yeah. yes and i i have to say i i got a real big kick the um podcast bigfoot collectors club this week for as much as they focus on that kind of stuff only just now did a sierra sounds episode oh, cool and got all the way through it and didn't bring up the jonathan frakes narrated cd what so I, 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 I pinged them on uh, Instagram. I was like, oh, my God, love the episode. Couldn't believe that you guys did not bring up yeah. this CD. Because let's be honest, that is some, some musky, jazzy goodness. Yeah. And, and one of the hosts was like, oh, my God, I totally have that CD. I can't believe I didn't bring that up. I will bring it up on the oh, next good, episode. Good. I'm like, Ooh. all right, yes. Oh, good, good, good. Yes. Okay, okay. Because, yeah, there, that's good stuff. Yeah, there needs, yeah pe- more people need to be talking about that, for sure. Heck, yeah. Um, Heck, yeah. Go back and listen to our, what was it, second, second, no, third episode. I think so, yeah, third episode. I think our third episode on the Sierra Sounds to get a taste of <laughs> How good that was. So rounding off our, our, our 1955 accounts, we have the, the, quote, smelly little man, unquote, of Loveland Heights account. <laughs> um, it's probably a more accurate description, yeah, too. Yeah, you know. Uh, this was this was sort of, I, I kind of, this is probably my second of favorite of them. Um, because mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of anonymous, but sort of not anonymous. Um, yeah. Apparently there was a lady named Mrs. Emily, and I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, Magnone, Magnone, Magnone? I... Ma- Magnon? It's literally mag and nun. Yeah. It's a compound word. I'm just going to call it magnon. Magnon. All right, we got it. Mrs. Mrs. Emily Magnon. Um, apparently, um, she was awoke, awoken in the middle of the night by her dog. Her, let me back up. There's an anonymous witness, <laughs> and she has a neighbor, Mrs. Emily Magnon. And the anonymous witness was awoken in the middle of the night by the barking of her neighbor, Mrs. Emily Magnoni. And you, mean, you mean her dog. It wasn't... It wasn't Emily doing the barking. Yeah, exactly. Emily is not barking. Okay. Emily's dog. Just making sure. Right. Because that's a whole nother episode we'd have to do. So, yeah, exactly. So there's this anonymous witness. She wakes up. She goes to her back porch, and she looks and into her yard. And about 15 feet from the porch, there's a little man, very apparent, standing motionless. This is around July 1955. She watched the little 
being briefly from the porch, then went back inside, turned the porch light on. Okay. When she returns to the porch, the creature had vanished. She then turned the light off and checked the yard again. The thing had returned to its ridge spot on the lawn. Oh, now I'm getting creeped yeah. out. Again, she turned the light on with the same results. Each time the light was turned on, the little creature seemed to disappear. Oh, wait a second. Wasn't there something like this with Hopkinsville? There, this was exactly like Hopkinsville. Okay. The, the creatures, the little goblins at Hopkinsville were very light reactive, for lack of a better phrase. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yes. Okay. The neighbor described the diminutive prowler as about three feet high and apparently this is entirely covered with what appeared, what looked like twigs or foliage. Hmm. Huh. So is a three foot high and a ghillie suit. A ghillie suit. Right. Exactly. Um, Mrs. Emily Magnoni, Magnon did not witness the creature but did, however, smell an extremely small, strong, and penetrating odor, quote, like a swamp. Huh. And I think that, That's... yeah, the, the account goes on to talk about how she and her husband had to close the window. It was so strong, even though it was a really hot night. It was really stuffy, so. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, July, you know, you live that close to a river, you're going you're gonna to get some really humid weather. Um, interesting. Yeah. See, that's that again. That's one of those things. Like it literally, it's like a baby swamp thing. It, this this is probably the creepiest of the accounts for me. Uh, definitely. Um, the whole thing with the creature like disappearing when the lights on or off, like that's super creepy. Um, yeah. I wish there was more detail about the physical description. I mean, we only really get the height and that it looked like it's covered in foliage, which is, um, I mean, that's creepy too. But it's just. Oh yeah. You know. That is, I mean, I think I probably would have screeched and peed myself or something. Yeah. Um, when I saw that happen, but that's yeah. That, there's, there's, I just, I feel like there are so many kind of parallels between kind of what we get in Hopkinsville and what we get here with these creatures, mm -hmm. and then you know, so, you, but just like the bridge case, you know, you've got these ones that are they're under the bridge. And it's like okay, it's kind of like maybe maybe it's more like a troll kind of thing and then you get this one it's covered in twigs and foliage is this is this some sort of like like fairy-esque creature yeah this is the you know like like a nature spirit of some kind oh yeah i don't know yeah. i don't know i really don't know yeah the honeycut stuff i look at that and i'm like i think extraterrestrial i look yeah. at this one and i think oh this is something that's completely out of the netherworld you know yeah this is much more cryptic yeah yeah this one definitely um definitely i mean Ultimately, I wish more of these accounts had actual witnesses that weren't anonymous. I wish there were some of these accounts where there were multiple <clears throat> witnesses and not just like a single witness. Um, yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm, I think the thing for me that's the most compelling is that each of the th accounts all emphasize the, the strong smell. We have strong smell. We got a height between three and four right. feet. And I, if I'm not mistaken, all these all these sightings are definitely happening middle of the night. Right. Exactly. They're all right. We're not we're not getting like daytime sightings here yet. Right. They're all nighttime. They're all in the same place, same time or year time of year. You know, middle of fifty five. The same yeah. height, same strong smell. Um, yeah. So I think it's. It, I mean, it's it's really compelling. Um. Um. And 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 it's not the end of the story because the the, the legend of the Loveland Frog continues. I, I wish the the creatures witnessed in fifty five were a little bit more frog like. Um, I think the stories that we're going to get into next kind of get more frog-like in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but do you have any final takeaways from the 55 accounts before we move on? I, not, I mean, really not beyond what I've, I've already mentioned, where we, uh, there, this was definitely kind of a, a flap 
gear and a flap area you know an ohio borders kentucky i mean so it's you know you're still kind of in that same region of the country Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we've got we've got creatures that you know maybe they're not perfectly identical to each other but you've got a lot of similarities oh yeah i don't i mean i'm honestly i've never been to kentucky but i have to say um there's something about Kentucky because oh yeah, I, 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 there's a there's a TV show that I watched that you used to watch but maybe aren't as big a fan anymore. But the episodes that they had whenever they were featured in Kentucky, in my opinion, they were always like off the charts, like nutso, you know. Um, Which show are we talking about? Ghost Adventures. Oh sure 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 yeah um, yeah. And um, I mean I I I've been to Kentucky for all of about five minutes because <laughs> Toby's dad lives really close to the Kentucky border with Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a, you know, it's a 15 mile drive up to the border mm-hmm. and there's a town called Jellico that's literally situated on the border. Oh, okay. So you can go visit Jellico and, you know, turn a quarter and be like, okay, you, you're leaving Tennessee, you know, here's Kentucky. You're still in Jellico. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so we've done that, but obviously, you know, there's, there's more of Kentucky I'd like to visit, but it is, I think I'm trying to remember somebody had shown how the Appalachian mountain range, Mm. um, is one of literally the oldest mountain ranges on the planet. Mm. And back when, you know, the, the, uh, continents were connected I mean, the, the, the range itself, I think like reached like up into Scotland or something weird like that. I can't remember the exact thing. Don't quote me on it, mm-hmm. but it, it is literally some of the oldest rock, mm. uh, on earth. So I, a lot of people go, well, no wonder shit's weird in, in Kentucky and along the Appalachian mountains. Supposedly Kentucky is also a great place to hunt for old vintage Star Wars toys because oh, no right kidding. across the river in Cincinnati, that was the old headquarters of the Kenner Toy Corporation. So. Oh, I did not. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Good to know. Totally. Um, so, continuing with the Loveland Frog story, we now <clears throat> yeah. get to March of 1970, and this is when the weirdest is really going to, in my opinion, up a, up its game, you know? Okay. Um, and we're going to deal now with a couple of police reports, which I think is always interesting when you have, you know, reports of paranormal things have, coming from, like, law enforcement, military folk, you know, that kind of thing. Yep, yep. Um, and I have to admit, it was, I thought that this was going to be the easier of the counts to investigate because it would have been, you know, not going back in time as far, only to the 70s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I had a doozy of a time researching this stuff. <clears throat> These accounts that we're going to talk about now apparently happened in March 72. And I thought, oh, this will be really easy to find some old newspaper articles from the 70s talking about this. And I could read some of the the early accounts, you know. But as far as I could tell, I did some kind of deep diving on this. As far as I can tell, the earliest published accounts of incident didn't show up until 1981 of all all times. Hmm. So almost a decade later, in an article in a very small... Um, publication called Creature Chronicles, issue four, um, which uh, was um, put out by um, a, a couple of uh, like cryptid researchers. Basically, it was like a little newsletter to put out. Okay, okay, and we'll we'll stick links to the stuff in the show notes if you want to see it because it's all PDF now. Right, right. Um, and in this eighty one article is really interesting because they 
refer to the police officers with, um, they kind of change their names to protect the innocents, so to speak. Um, apparently, the real names of the police officers are now under a public record. But the fact that they had to feel that they had to change their names to protect their identities made me feel that maybe there hadn't been any previous newspaper coverage, you know? Because if, uh-huh. if there had been an article from the 70s that named, give, identified them by name, you know, why change their name one? But anyway, I digress. So... Getting back to the story, um, about 1 a.m., again at night, here we go, yep, Mar- yep. March 3rd, 1972, Loveland police officer Ray Shockey was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes, Toots, Totes? No, that'd be Totes. Totes Boot Factory and <clears throat> the Little Miami River. Oh, we've heard that. Again with the river. We've heard that. Yep. When an unidentified animal scurried across the road in front of his vehicle, the animal was fully illuminated in his vehicle's headlights, and he described it as three to feet long and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. He reported spotting the animal crouched like a frog before it momentarily stood erect to climb over the guardrail and back down towards the river. Two weeks after the incident, a second Loveland police officer, Mark Math, reported seeing an unidentified animal crouched along the road in the same same vicinity Shockey's site. Interesting. The incident was investigated by Ron Schaff and Richard Mackey. Um, And uh, the article, as I mentioned, assigns pseudonyms to the officers. The article says that the names are changed at the officer's request, but we do have their names on record for any serious quote. Um, Right. Interestingly enough, Loveland, Ohio, at that time, was also the headquarters of something called the Hominid Research, which was a division of the Ohio UFO Investigator Incorporated. Interesting. Okay. Um, what, what, for me, when I first heard and read about the Loveland Frog, mm-hmm. the thing that hit me in the face like a two-by-four is the composite sketch that was created by sister of one of the officers that witnessed the creature back in the 70s. And okay. this is probably the image that, <clears throat> you know, if anybody does any Googling on the topic, this is probably the image that's going to pop up. I think it's been reproduced on all sorts of shirts and things like that. I think there might even be a Loveland Frog Festival that they might have. Um, yeah. And this is the image that, if you look at this, you know, if you take it at face value, this is a frog, frog creature. This is a frog-humanoid hybrid kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's so crazy because um, there's also a sketch uh, that was drawn up by Len Stringfield of the creatures witnessed by Robert Honeycutt back in the 50s. Yeah. And if you look, and if you look at these sketches side by side, they look nothing alike, in my opinion. No, like, they're, they're, yeah, and, and the ones from 55 are really weird. I mean, there's, you know, there's the one holding the, the wand or the rod, and there's another one who just looks like he's got his hands in his pockets being like, dude, come on. And, and you're, you're entirely right because their heads or faces look exactly like South Park characters. They do. When the mouth goes all the way across like that, I expect their head, tops their heads to kind of pop up and, bobble around while they talk i do i do have a a soft spot in my heart for the 72 creature just because it looks more like a frog well yeah and and i feel like i'm not getting like shortchanged or anything (laughs) exactly Um, yeah it's you know and it's funny because you know years later i know that um uh, officer matthews uh claimed to have actually shot and killed the creature and then actually just said oh it's just a a large iguana that was missing its tail. 
that is one of the weirdest parts of this whole story because yeah. that's a detail that's not mentioned anywhere in the 1981 article. Um, and I have to wonder, okay, what's going on here? Did they actually shoot it and it was an iguana and investigators left that part out to make the story more compelling? Or did the police officers receive so much um, ridicule that they decided just to pull the plug on it and just say, oh, it was just an iguana? You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Because it's hard for me to imagine. I mean, the creature that was drawn by the witnesser—that does—that is not an iguana, you know. I mean, that is definitely <clears throat> a bipedal giant frog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. No, I completely agree with that. Um, and and it's interesting, you know. I mean, I know that there were definitely some uh, some years in the '70s where there was, you know, a, a, a more like UFO flaps and stuff. Not so much in that area necessarily. I think Pascagoula was 73, stuff like that. So to kind of go like 1955, here's like three in a row. Right. And then nothing that really kind of gets big enough onto the radar Mm -hmm. uh, until 72. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that there wasn't anything. We just don't have record of it. Um, So yeah, then you get 72 and you at least get something that, that looks froggy that at least was was seen in headlights rather than like you know oh i saw it for like 10 seconds when i was driving over a bridge um and then you go what on earth could possibly top any of that well in 2016 Uh here we go (laughs) well while a couple were playing pokemon go of all things uh there was another frogman sighting yeah sam jacobs uh is the one who saw it and i think he was out with I want to say his girlfriend okay um but anyway he said we saw we saw a huge frog near the water not in the game meaning pokemon go mm-hmm. this was an actual giant frog you know we weren't this wasn't a bulbasaur <laughs> this was this was outside my phone <laughs> and he goes i took a couple of pictures in a video because i'd never seen one that big then the thing stood up and walked on its hind legs oh. yeah jacobs went on to say he realizes some people think he's crazy here this article comes from snopes i swear on my grandmother's grave this is the truth mm. And you know, you know, it's important because it's grandma, right? Right. right? <laughs> I'm not sure whether it was a frogman or just a giant frog. Either way, I've never seen anything like it. Yikes. Um, and I think, I think it, they've got at least one of the photos in the um, in the Snopes article. Uh, again, I'll stick a link in the show note. What did it look like to you? What was your impression seeing the photo? Um, <clears throat> blurry. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, honestly, really blurry. I couldn't quite tell you what it is if it's anything and honestly i'm really not sure because it is so uh like zoomed in and grainy and i think there are these lights that are supposed to be its eyes and i'm just Mm. honestly honestly not sure oh wow okay um but there may be there may be uh you know video out there somewhere as he claims um but yeah Sam Jacobs took photographs and video of the creature, but it was so dark that it only showed a pair of shining eyes and an indistinct shape. Yeah, that, that's about how I would describe it. Um, so the story enjoyed some brief play until the 5th of August 2016, when none other than Mark Matthews, who had claimed, I'm, I'm going to say, claimed to have shot the creature in 1972, called a reporter after seeing the Loveland Frogman in the news again to tell him what it had actually been. So here's here's Mark Matthews all these years later seeing this in the story and literally being like, no, doubling down and going, it was a large iguana 
about three or three and a half feet long. The animal was missing its tail, which is why he didn't immediately recognize it. So wait a second. If 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 Matthews claimed to have shot it in 72, why is he back here in 2016 going, it's just an iguana? Didn't he already kill it all these years ago? And why is, why is anybody killing an iguana anyway in the first place? Is that like... Well, yeah. I mean, shouldn't you just call animal control? I mean, it... Are they dangerous? I don't think they're dangerous. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, poor little guy. I mean, if that is true, I guess, you know? Yeah, but but then he goes so far as to go, he figured that the iguana had been someone's pet, and then either got loose or was released when it got too large. He also theorized the cold-blooded animal had been living near the pipes that released water that was used for cooling the ovens in the boot factory as a way to stay warm in the cold March weather. So now they're talking back about March of 72. Right. Because this, this 2016 sighting was in August. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's I don't know, there, there's a whole thing going on with this Officer Matthews guy where, I mean, I have to wonder, maybe he did, like, let's say, let's say Loveland Frogman is totally real. Yeah. Totally froggy. Um, and it just, like... It just does not fit with his worldview. Right. Because the, at the end of this article, you know, he's just like, dang it, it was an iguana. I swear it was an iguana. I don't even believe in Bigfoot. Yeah. Right? And so maybe it just, like, broke his brain, you know? Not, not you know, saying that it sent him into, a like, a mental illness or anything, but, but just, like, it doesn't fit with his worldview. Yeah. And so this is his only way of reconciling it and going, it was a large iguana. I wonder, and, and and that he just has to stick to that story, or else he has to accept the reality. I, I like your theory. I wonder if maybe even possibly there was a frogman, and he had a pet iguana. The the frogman has a pet iguana. Yeah. I well, I mean, I don't see why not. Why can't cryptids or extraterrestrials have pets? You know. I well, yeah, exactly. Sure. I mean, I mean, I, I honestly, the '72 accounts and the 2016 account, like, mm-hmm. I really wish that either one of those accounts had some report of a really strong foul. Like, it seems like that, that's like the key thread. That's the one thing that's missing, huh? Yeah, you know. That's totally true. That is totally true. Now, I want to mention before we wrap up with this a couple other uh, notable appearances right. of the Loveland Frogman story. Um, <clears throat> And I have to give thanks uh, to the Unbelievers podcast um, for this information because I would not have found this on my own. Um, but season 22, episode 9 of Mysteries at the Museum. Great show. Great show. Hosted by Don Wildman. I don't know how wild he gets in real life, but we'll just pretend. Um, it covers the story and <clears throat> and goes and creates a name for the anonymous witness who i who i believe is supposed to be cf Mm. in this case um and 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 the great thing about the unbelievers podcast is they've got a massive soundboard so they're able to you know use audio clips from shows much more easily than we're able to especially when it's just you and me recording Mm. um and they literally say that a man named Jerome Clark mm. was driving along this road. And I'm like, wait a second. I know that name. Yeah. I'm like, are you guys kidding me? He's the, Claiming it was some dude named Jerome Clark. Jerome Clark, the author of all my favorite paranormal books. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, come on. Okay. You're kidding me. Anyway, so if you've got presumably Discovery Plus, go 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 search 
up that episode and watch that bit. Um, there's also a student film that I will put the link to the first part. It's in three parts. Okay. But once you once you click on the first part, you can find the second and third part really easily. So I'll put the link to the first part. <clears throat> um, and it doesn't count as an official sighting by, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it is called The Legend of the Loveland Frogman. Mm. Um, and it's, I think the whole thing, if you put all three pieces together, is probably about a half an hour. Okay. Which, you know, for a student film is actually a pretty long thing. Um, but it's pretty hilarious. Really? Uh, so yeah, so if you enjoy just this tale of the Loveland Frogman, and you're like, okay, I, I just I just want to watch something kind of goofy, um, go check out the link huh. uh, to that video um, and watch it. They don't they don't try to make fun of it, but you know the I mean it's it's you know it's a student film. The student dialogue is only so good. There's there's one uh, character in there. I can't remember if he's a uh, like a museum caretaker or or what but his voice actually sounds kind of like kermit <laughs> and it's just like okay you guys are kind of like that's awesome kind of poking poking a little fun at it which is fine which is fine um but it's uh yeah it's it's worth a watch it's pretty funny <laughs> it's awesome it's it's pretty funny so you know here we are we're kind of starting to lay the groundwork for some stuff this this year mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, and without kind of like laying out our whole plan, because I, I like surprising you listeners every month with what we're going to be covering, um, is we're kind of putting down some, some stepping stones to get toward the latter part of the year, um, and talk about one, you know, big thing that has been, um, uh, a major influence, I think, on both of us. And I, I, I would say for John as well, if he were here. Um, so, I, you know, the Loveland Frogman story is, is a little part of that. It's, it's the, the earliest small stepping stone because it, we've got some of those parallels to uh, Kelly Hopkinsville, uh, to the Goblins, uh, uh, to uh, Kentucky and the ideas of bridges and borders and stuff. Um, and uh, these, these kind of, you know, liminal spaces like bridges mm-hmm. and stuff. So what you're going to be seeing this year is, is kind of, you know, we're laying down some background information before we get later into the year and really kind of like, I, I mean, I can only imagine it's probably going to be two episodes. Mm-hmm. It's probably two months mm-hmm. to really kind of dig into uh, what we want to talk about. And we're going to try to get some interviews with it as well. We'll see how that works out. It's early days still. I'm not even broaching that idea with anyone yet but um seb do you have any other like last thoughts about our maybe not so froggy frogman yeah you know i think i think i think it's really really significant that 1955 was also the year that the famous warner brothers cartoon character michigan j frog uh, debuted that's Um, that's right actually talking about anthropomorphic frogs you know and you know if, if, if anybody listening is not familiar with michigan j frog he's frog that sings hello my baby hello my honey hello my ragtime gal and if that doesn't tell you who michigan j frog is i don't know what to do for you i mean go to youtube look him up yeah 
Um, yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, I think Creature from the Black Lagoon came out in '54. There you go. So, so you, you may also have a little bit of pop culture influence. Yeah. With that as well in '55. So it, it it you know, but ultimately, I think I think the '55 stuff is probably more likely extraterrestrial rather than cryptid if taken at face value. Mm-hmm. The stuff from the '70s, I'm just I don't know what to think. It's either cryptid or I can't imagine how it could be in an iguana because how do you see that and then come up with that witness sketch you know yeah Um, yeah it's it's really tough to say and then then the fact that you get one of these two officers kind of like flipping the story and then doubling down on it even later on you know that almost that gives me the vibe that again he saw something that he just couldn't fit into his his worldview Mm -hmm. and went no it has to be this i i can't i can't accept any other answer right right because my brain just can't handle it yeah and that's fine we all handle things in our own ways and that that's what he needs to do that's what he needs to do but i hope there's a giant frog out there it it, it would make my 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 heart happier thinking there's a giant frog in the little mississippi river i guess or little miami river Um, yeah the little miami river yeah Definitely, there is no little Mississippi. Yeah, no, the, just, yeah, that's just that big one. It's the opposite of a, a little river. Yeah, for sure. Well, and who knows? Maybe he's <laughs> hosting Muppet News because it's Kermit the Frog. I, I definitely feel like I've dropped the ball, not having as many Kermit jokes as, as we should have had. But uh, that's okay. You know, uh, when my voice is a little better, I'll, I'll I'll do a better version of my Kermit voice. It's not it's not fantastic right now. <laughs> Yours was always better <clears throat> anyway. So yeah. <sighs> Fair enough. Well, every month Seb's gonna dig into the old timey newspaper archives to unearth a story of high strangeness. Seb, tell us what do we have this month? Well, folks, keeping it froggy, we have an article from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle newspaper of July twenty. 20- 1901 entitled science accepts frog showers bath new york morris street was almost covered with frogs immediately after a heavy shower some were scarcely half an inch long but there were so many that bicyclists bicyclists found riding difficult oh dear those poor frogs Uh, professor roberts of cornell said it is generally now generally accepted now by the scientific world that frog spawn can be carried up into the atmosphere, hatched out in the clouds, shower of frog result. So, <laughs> so they're they're actually hatched in the sky. Apparently, yeah, apparently I guess they they're they are tadpoles in the atmosphere and then they become frogs and then rain down. I don't know. I that's um I, I feel like there's an element of science there and there's an element of pseudoscience there, but But at the same time we have to acknowledge that you know, along with many other types of living creatures and inanimate objects, there are a lot of accounts of strange showers of things like frogs or yes. small fish, all sorts of meat. Weird um, the Kentucky meat shower. The, the yes, the, the, again back to Kentucky, the Kentucky meat shower, um, which is which is kind of crazy. I mean, it's it's one of those things which is hard to dismiss because there's so many accounts, but yeah. at the same time, it's just so bizarre. I wonder how that. Um, I mean, it, it's it's got to be a meteorological component, right? But mm, I'm pretty sure there is. But whether or not, I mean, who knows? I mean, I part of me hopes there isn't a solution. It just remains sort of beautiful mystery. Um, <laughs> and and that would just be amazing to actually be a witness to something like that. Um, I don't know. I think it would be kind of cool. Kind of cool, you know? No, I I, I agree, and I, I I like I like what you said about a beautiful mystery. I th- I think sometimes so many of us are in such a desperate race to identify and explain and 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 logic out what is going on with an experience with the phenomenon Mm -hmm. that you know we we don't 
necessarily stop to take the time and just go, you know what, this is this is just a beautiful mystery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and kind of enjoy the moment of going, I have no freaking idea what's going on. Mm. This is great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I think we need to do that more. Well said, well said. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, because I think there's a lot of stuff. I, th- I think the smartest thing you can ever say about something weird is, yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know what that is. Um, and I know sometimes, you know, we, we try to logic out kind of what's going on with something. But really, at the end of the day, hey, we don't know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and, and that's okay. You know, we can all sit down together as a bunch of weirdos and appreciate these stories for what they are. Amen. <sighs> Indeed. Well, that is it for this month. Thank you for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day. Um, if you have an experience you want to share with us, or if you have questions, or if you want to, you know, hey, share a frogman sighting of your own, you can email us at allnightgeeks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at allnightgeeks. You can follow me at busbuddha 71 and you can follow Seb at Clan and McMuffin. Aw, yeah. Hey, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify... Be sure to rate and review us as well. Don't forget, Spotify's got starred ratings now. Um, so if you want to go throw us some stars, whatever you think is fair. Because if everybody gives five stars, five stars don't mean anything. Um, just as importantly, share us with your friends, man. Word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around. And we would appreciate it if you tell at least one friend about the podcast. We want to give big, big thanks uh, to the Ghoulies for letting us use Hot Rods from Outer Space from their album Midnight in America as our intro and outro music. Please give them a follow on social media and hit up theghouliesdenver.bandcamp.com to buy their music. Uh, We've got merch. That's over at shop.spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G. That's shirts buttons stickers you know go check that out always want to give huge thanks as always to kate the steam-powered mouse for doing the show's artwork um very obviously we're still in a pandemic i'm feeling that uh, that effect firsthand right now uh so it's important to help out our local artists help out our local businesses uh support them first um whether you buy from them whether you kind of retweet them or or tell your friends about them uh but if you want to throw a few bones our way we'd always appreciate that helps the hosting costs of everything uh, do that over at patreon.com slash n-o-t-l-g um that's it for us this month we will uh catch you in march and in the meantime get out and find something weird good night hey, folks. My brain just kind of melted.